The Dickheads are presented in color. Hey, Dickheads! Like a pig laser beam of truth beaming straight from the North Park Holiday Edition Book Fair. I am your host, David Agronoff, coming to you live from a book fair. So if you hear the sounds of books being bought, coffee being made, because we're right by Dark Horse Coffee Roasters, <laughs> um, we are recording from the book fair. We just got done uh, having a very long conversation with somebody who bought a book about PKD, so that was good warm-up. Uh, but I'm going to interview the different people I'm sharing the table with today. Um, Shane Hawk is a, he's one of you, he's a dickhead, uh, and a dickhead listener, and he's an author here in San Diego, and is going to join us, tell us, first we'll, we'll talk a little bit about PKD, and then we'll get into his book. Uh, Shane, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. So, so here's the thing, um, Shane, I, I know, I think... Did you discover us through the Ubik episode, through Stephen Graham Jones being on there, or were you already a dickhead listener? Oh, I was already a listener maybe two, three years before that. Oh, uh, dude. Okay, cool. Because I, I knew you were a listener and, like, going back, but what's your relationship with Philip K. Dick? Like, how did you discover Philip K. Dick? And 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 uh, and then we'll get more into what your favorites are, but that you're wrong about. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Alright, so I think uh, my first PKD, uh, PKD book was uh, Do Electroshoot. Uh, Do Android Stream. <laughs> See, I'm already failing. Uh, yeah, that was my first book um, because of the movie. Uh, I love the Harrison Ford movie. And I figured, why not read the book behind that? This is before. Uh, I really became a reader, so I just kind of read it non-critically. Um, I thought it was pretty damn good. Uh, it was more philosophical than I was expecting. Um, and from there, I kind of went into a rabbit hole of just consuming as much PKD as I could. And from there, I found out that uh, Ubik is my favorite, uh, which some may disagree with. Oh no, lots of people agree with you that Ubik is the best. The problem is that that the dickheads don't. Um, and I think, and this is, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, my personal theory of why a lot of people love Ubik, and I don't think that we did, even though I read Ubik before we did the podcast, like a long time ago, but rereading Ubik in the process of the podcast, I felt like we've done this before and I feel like PKD has done the personal cosmos thing so many times that Ubik just didn't really feel that special to me in the sense of and I'm also a huge fan of Eye in the Sky and I think you said you haven't read Eye in the Sky yet but uh, but uh, we'll have to get you on Eye in the Sky so everybody shame uh, Shane for not reading Eye in the Sky yet <laughs> on Twitter um, we'll tell you how to follow him but um, but yeah uh so what is it, I, I think about, so what is it about Ubik for you that makes it your favorite, or, or what do you really find most appealing about PKD? I just love the aspect of how he always makes you question reality. Um, I've had so many experiences where 
Uh, I'm seeing or hearing something, and I don't know if it's real or just in my head. And I think PKD really brings that out in his fiction. Um, Ubik, um, I don't know, I just really love his imagination with it. Um, I really do have to go revisit, or actually visit for the first time, uh, Eye in the Sky. Since David here says that he already, he already basically wrote Ubik, you know, 20 years earlier. So I really do have to read that one. Um, Ubik just really hit everything that I like in a weird sci-fi story. Just everything about it, I don't know. I just love it. Well, I will say, Ubik is different. And there's some genius things about Ubik that don't exist in Eye in the Sky. And they are very different. I'm, I'm being flippant. Uh, really, I'm more or less joking, but um, but yeah, I mean the personal private cosmos thing. I mean, I think he did it in Three Stigmata of Homer Eldridge in a way too. Um, and uh, you know, there there's a little bit of personal cosmos all over the place. Uh, Maze of Death, for example, too. So uh, yeah, so 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 we we we've seen it in other places, and so that that that's just my thing about Ubik is that I feel like. I feel like if you read Ubik on your own, it's going to seem mind-bending and crazy. But if you read it in the uh, in the canon, as it were, it's less impressive. It's less impressive in that way. Not that it's not impressive. I'm not talking shit. So, um, but yeah. So, so tell tell people who you are and your journey and what you're doing writing-wise. Sure. Uh, I'm local to San Diego. I've been here all my life. Um, and I just got into writing during the pandemic here. Uh, in October 2020, I published my first book, which is just a six-story short collection. Um, it's called Anoka, and I was basically uh, inspired to become a writer by Stephen Graham Jones, who was on this podcast before for the big episode. Uh, I read Mapping the Interior in uh, summer 2019, and I noticed that uh, he was a native writer, and I felt that, hey, you know, if he can do this, put these words together and make a really awesome narrative, you know, why can't I? And so maybe I'll try my stab at it. And uh, I was going to write a collection that summer, uh, but I entered the teaching credential program uh, because I'm a high school teacher now. Uh, so it kind of sucked the life out of me during that time, so I couldn't write. Uh, and then I came back during the pandemic and decided, you know, I have a lot of free time now, so I'll write a collection uh, called Anoka. Anoka is only six stories. Um, and the story behind that and why it's such a slim volume is because uh, I wrote, uh, I actually wrote 11 stories for it and lost five in a hardware crash. Uh, my hard drive crashed in my MacBook. Oh, yikes. Yep. And I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I somehow messed it up from my save location instead of saving to the cloud. It got switched to the local uh, hard drive. Nothing got backed up. And uh, I learned my lesson there, so I know it would have been 11 stories, but oh well. So it's a slim volume, uh, six stories. They've actually done a lot of work for me. Um, probably mostly do the cover. It's a pen and ink cover uh, that was done by a Polish guy, uh, Suren Jasinski. Um, I commissioned him to do the cover. It has an awesome werewolf on it, eating a deer. Um, and it's actually gotten me to win an agent. Um, and after that, it got me to 
uh, write a proposal for an anthology um, for all indigenous writers of dark fiction. Uh, and now I'm going to be editing that with my friend Ted Van Elst. And that's going to be coming out through Vintage Books uh, in America. And in Canada, it's going to be through Home Random House Canada uh, in fall 2023. And so this little you know, self-published book has done a lot of work for me. And uh, I'm excited for my writing journey. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to try not to be too bummed that it happened for you so quickly when those of us who've been in the salt mines for 10 years or more, that's great. But, you know, great work trumps all. So if you, you know, it's not going to... It's not going to happen if you don't have the great work. And so, obviously, the, the book um, is... I haven't read it yet. I'm going to be taking a copy home with me today. I've been waiting for a chance since you were local to get it when I knew I could get it signed. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, I'm very happy for you uh, and the success that you're having early. That's really cool. Um, and especially because you're a dickhead. And, yes. <laughs> and, and not just a dickhead. But a podcast dickhead. So uh, we really appreciate um, all the support too that you've given to the podcast. You've, you've promoted us before, and that yeah. that really means a lot to us. Um, and and you know, so obviously we want to give back. Um, so tell people how they can uh, find you online. And um, oh, before that, are we going to get science fiction out of you, Shane? Is, is that something in the, in, in the plans? Because you know, this is a science fiction podcast, so I got to ask. Uh, at some point, I do plan on writing sci-fi, but it'll lean more toward horror, so it'll be horror sci-fi, and there will be uh, PKD elements in there for sure, without a doubt. I've already talked to my uh, agent about this, so she knows it's in the pipeline somewhere. Uh, very excited about that. Oh, nice tease. Um, yeah, that's that's what... That's what we like to hear. Uh, Horror-tinged sci-fi is what we're all about anyways. I mean, what's Three Stigmata of Palmer Aldridge except for... That's dark as shit, right? (laughs) So that's the kind of stuff we like. Um, All right, Shane, tell everyone how they can find you. So uh, I guess the central hub would be uh, my website, shanehawk.com. S-H-A-N-E-H-A-W-K.com. I'm on social media. I mostly use Twitter, though, so my Twitter handle is at ShaneHawk with an extra K at the end. And, uh, yeah, otherwise, just find me where you can, and I'll, I'll reach out. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll have you back on to cover a book or something. Um, we're running out of books, though. We're getting towards the end, so maybe a short story, but uh, those are going to be fun, too, because we're going to be doing more of those after the novels end. So, um all right, Shane, it was really great having you on the podcast. We're going to bring somebody else up, but um, go back to selling books. Um, and uh, But, yeah, if you're if you're a dickhead listener out there, definitely check out Anoka. It's, um, like the cover art is beautiful. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward to reading it. And, of course, if you follow me online, you know I review everything. So, eventually... Um, and then uh, maybe I'll have Shane on my uh, uh, on my other podcast to talk about the nitty gritty of writing it when we get when we get around to it. So um, thank you, uh, Shane, for joining us. And uh, if you have any any last words for the dickheads, 
All right, uh, just thank you, David, for having me on. I appreciate it a lot. We can't wait for the next episode. Uh, Deus Iri should be the next one. Nice. Uh, who knows when this this comes out? Actually, <laughs> Deus Iri is the next one coming out as of recording. So, uh, yeah, soon. All right, uh, thanks for coming on the show, and uh, we'll have somebody else coming up next. Okay, uh, we're back uh, with another guest. Somebody else we're tabling with. Robert Mitchell Evans is the author of a science fiction novel called Balkans Forge. Uh, and I have read it, so um, I won't be less, I'll be less of a poser than when I was interviewing Shane. But I will say, I've had Shane's book on my radar for a while. I've just been waiting to buy it here today. Uh, but uh, Bob's book um, is... Uh, from Flame Tree, correct? Correct. Like, yes, and um, and it came out uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic. But um, give give the folks a little uh, um, uh, update. Well, tell them what your sci-fi background is. How did you get into science fiction? And then we'll talk about the book. Oh, okay. Um, well, I've always been a science-obsessed little kid, and I read nothing but nonfiction as a child. And then my sister shoved a science fiction YA into my in my hands, the uh, Star Beast by Robert Heinlein. And then it was science fiction. I was reading science fiction constantly, and movies, books, short stories, and now authorship. That it's a simple story, really. Right. Well, and and so you're a lifelong science fiction reader. Um, uh, all the golden age classics, like uh, Heinle, you, obviously Heinlein, you said, but but who who are your top five uh, from the from the classics? Oh, from the classics, um, you know, Heinlein, um, uh, Bradbury, Asimov. You know, I, I kind of st- I started with Heinlein, quickly ran out of Heinlein to read because he didn't have a, a, a ton of books. You know, and then I was into the Asimov, and then I discovered Ellison and then it was you know off to the races um, Clark I, I enjoy his short fiction more than his novels yeah um, you know it's funny I haven't read Clark in many many years but uh, so I really don't know the difference between the shorts and that I well I mean the Sentinel I remember reading right. and, and then what's the one with the um, uh, all, with the God one with all the stars that was a great one yeah but, uh, uh, the nine billion names of God nine billion names of God yeah that one I remember uh, very well but I, I am a big fan of the Clark novels but uh, do you have any experience with PKD I've read some PKD I, I, I've read um, do androids dreamed of electric sheep um, the game players of Titan um, I've read some of his short stories um, we can remember for you wholesale, which was of course adapted very loosely into Total Recall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I haven't delved deeply into into Dick's work yet. Oh man, we got to get you going. Uh, <laughs> I uh, well, listeners, uh, you can uh, hit up uh, Bob on social media when he uh, tells you where to find you, and then you, you guys can all tell him what you think you should read. I think. I don't know if you should go to the best right away with three stigmata of Palmer Aldridge, but it might it might might be the one. But we got to get you reading more PKD. Um, all right, so tell people about your book uh, Vulcan's Forge. It's um, uh, very influenced by your love of, of noir films, and I, what I will say about the novel is that it has a very old school feel. 
it feels like a lost novel that from the golden age um uh so that's like a really fun thing uh, about it um so, so tell people about the influence, because the noir films is, is everything. You're a big film nerd, right? Oh, I am definitely a film nerd. I, um, my earliest memory of life is of watching a movie. So you know, th- th- that predates uh, science fiction and predates you know books and, and um, literature. Uh, so uh, Vulcan's Forge is a science fiction noir. Um, and you know noir is a very broad category. You know, most people, when they think of noir, they think of the uh, hard-boiled private eye stories with the, the, the voiceover. Um, Watterson did great uh, parody of it in uh, Calvin and Hobbes, and Calvin would do his black and white noir. Uh, but with Vulcan's Forge, I wanted to go. I wanted to go a different route because I, I really love the noir stories about non-investigators, non. Uh, people who aren't involved in crime as a profession but who get wrapped up into it anyway you know because they 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 they're they they give it to their weaknesses they can't resist the temptation and so Vulcan's Forge is about a man who lives in a um off-world colony that is uh, infatuated with mid-20th century Americana Uh, but his tastes uh, run contrary to the culture and so he uh, is uh, sucked into the uh, criminal element side of the colony he didn't know existed and then uncovers a um, an even vaster conspiracy behind that mm-hmm. well and, and it's kind of it's an interesting motif to uh, like take the off colony world post kind of post earth mm-hmm. thing and, and try to combine it with uh, <clears throat> with the noir feeling and um, so, so it is a really interesting. Like now, 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 I admit, now me personally, I, I was like, I was very interested in how they got there, which is not the story you're telling. <laughs> so, um, so it's funny because I know in, in, in my review, I talked a lot about how I, I spent a lot of time like with my brain, like thinking like, wait, wait, how did this happen? Now you did think all this out and you did have it all planned, but. But um, that's not the story. The story is is about this this society, and um, and so I do think that um, you know, like I said, I think I think it will really appeal to people who 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 want something that feels like that feels like that golden age. Because I think you were going for that. You wanted it to almost feel black and white, right? Yes, yes. I, I very much was going for that feeling. Yeah. In the backstory, which is only alluded to um, and is only there enough to support, hopefully, just enough to support the story that you read. Um, in the um, early 22nd century, a rogue uh, brown dwarf barrels through the solar system, and there's decades and decades of warning because you'll see such a thing coming. Yeah. And humanity launches basically these automated solar sail arcs and in in current terms of dollars they the arc an arc will cost about half a billion dollars so you had not only nations but you had states and individual groups launching arcs to preserve what they consider to be the right culture their own culture and, and the entire story takes place on this one where it was the Ark was founded by people who were fascinated with mid-century Americana. Also, in this setting, there is a planet that was inhabited, that was settled by people who had idolized Texas. There's a Texas planet out there. Right. 
And actually, I, I wrote a, I had used this setting earlier for another novel that did not work. It did not survive the beta read, and I'll go back and fix that someday. So it's a setting I want to return to because there's a lot of um, potential exploring the way humanity has uh, branched out from that event. Yeah, I really liked the idea that there was this world that, you know, that these worlds were basically, you know, that multiple worlds were created out of the seed of Earth and that they don't even know if the other ones worked or not. And there's there's some, some interesting and fun ideas there. Um, and, and obviously, I, you know, I really, I really enjoyed the world building of this book. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's really cool. Like, I know you said that this is one that when you submitted it, you didn't expect to get it accepted because you thought that, that it was a little bit too weird and for you. Um, but hey, it works and you sold it. So, um, so you got it out there. Um, what can we expect from you in the future? What are you working on now? Well, um, I currently am shopping around a murder mystery set on a slow ship, you know, that has been in flight for 200 years and has not had any sort of crime for, for like 180 years. And now there's a murder and some, a person who has no experience in investigating crime or, or dealing with violence has to figure out how this murder occurred on this little perfect utopian ship. Um, and I am that that one's being shopped around and I'm currently writing a military SF adventure set in the 23rd century where humanity never unified and for some reason America took a bad turn at the beginning of the 21st century and kind of degraded and never recovered uh, <laughs> I don't know how that could happen <laughs> right well um, yeah it's cool you're here in San Diego too um, and uh, I do want to put a shout out while, while I'm thinking of it to that this event was organized by Verbatim Books. And um, if you're in San Diego, if you've never been to Verbatim, Verbatim has a great science fiction section. And if you're if you're visiting for Comic Con or anything like that, make sure that Verbatim is on your list of places to go. Um, and uh, um, but it, is uh, Vulcan's Forge available anywhere locally, or should people just uh, pick it up online? Um, any bookstore can order it for you. It, it is available through uh, Mysterious Galaxy. Um, I do not know if they still have any signed stock in in stock. Hmm. That's not a very good sentence, but that's a sentence. And of course, you can order it through any online bookseller. You know, the, the good ones or the evil ones. Good ones or the evil ones. That's right. Um, okay, uh, Bob, how can uh, people find you online if they uh, want to converse with you about your books? Um, I have a Facebook page for my writing, which is Robert Mitchell Evans. Um, the easiest way to find me online is to go to my own blog uh, domain, robertmitchellevans.com. And from there, you can find my social media connect uh, links and see me on Twitter, which... I don't post mo much on, and you can see me on Facebook and on my blog. I do a lot of um, uh, film and TV discussion. Mm. Yep, yeah, you do. <laughs> that you do. Um, so yeah, Bob is somebody who um, I've known around San Diego for a couple years at different conventions and things, uh, especially Hor Horrible Imaginings Film Fest and all that. So I uh, was really uh, happy to see your success and really glad we could share the table today. 
Um, yeah, and you should get back to selling books because the longer you're sitting here talking to me, you are uh, not selling books. So, uh, but thank you for joining the Dickheads podcast, and let's get you reading some more PKD in the future. We'll be happy to, and thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. All right, thanks, Bob. All right, uh, joining me on the Dickheads podcast, somebody who has been is a returning guest because he was on our Judith Merrill podcast. Gideon Marcus is here to represent. However, today um, you are here selling books for Journey Press, but also you can tell the folks a little bit more about Galactic Journey if they're unfamiliar. Tell people what you do, science fiction related. I like your shirt. <laughs> so I live up in Vista, which is about 40 miles north of this. Lovely uh, North Park Village yes. Holiday Fair. It's wonderful here. We're meeting all sorts of cool people. So we're here in our I've capacity running Journey Press at journeypress.com. We sell unusual and diverse oh, science fiction. Some of it's new, some of it's past stuff from the 60s that's just been forgotten, but it's amazing, like Tom Purden's I Want the Stars. Um, and my non-day job is I run galacticjourney.org, where I am a time traveler living 55 years ago, day by day. So right now it is December 11th, 1966 and next week we're going to be watching the star trek episode balance of terror my favorite episode well everyone's very excited about it half the people have not seen it before we watch it with the original commercials at the original airtime they saw the trailer last week when we watched conscience of the king and they said there's going to be a space battle this is going to be the coolest thing ever so now are you, are you watching the original effects then oh, yeah. to, okay okay yeah we, it's a, we are very very hardcore in our immersion in 1966 and everyone can join us by the way either they come to our house if they're vaccinated and want free dinner uh, or they can watch it with us on discord east east coast time and pacific time wow i'm i'm tempted to come to vista because uh balance of terror is my absolute 100 percent favorite episode of star trek are you so, vaccinated i am well, <laughs> so, then you can come that's the rule yeah um well the the thing about it is uh, Balance Terror is uh, it's a great submarine movie in, in Star Trek. But I shouldn't tell you about it because yeah, because I'm I'm a time I'm not a time traveler there for for it. So uh, so it's a really cool thing that you guys do is 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 cover f- 55 years back in the past. Why 55 instead of 50? Uh, like what what was the impetus for that? Particular journey. Well, the glib answer I always give is 50 would be too soon and 60 would be too much. Um, 55 is this golden time. You look at 55 years ago and you recognize our time in it. It's it's the modern day, only a little crappier. It's 55 <laughs> years is the razor between now and yesterday. And so a lot of the people who were creating back then are actually still alive today. Um, Mike Nesmith actually just passed away yesterday. We, we played the first album in honor of him. So from our perspective, he is a 55-year clock. But we're yeah. watching The Monkees as it comes out first season. My daughter loves it. It's a great show. <laughs> so, but 55 years ago is just sort of a magical number, and everybody does 50. Yeah. And, and 60 is too far away. It's an alien world. It's black and white. No one's interested in Eisenhower right now, you know? <laughs> That's interesting. Well, the funny thing about this this journey that you're taking is, I didn't realize you were doing non-sci-fi things, too, like the monkeys. Um, but it, it, it's really a cool window into into the time. You know I love the old school. And so, like, I... I um, I really appreciate what you're doing just because, uh, you know, I love the golden age and, and the new wave and all that. And, and, and like 
the, the particular eye that you're giving into it. Um, what's the most interesting thing that you've learned doing this 55-year journey about about the genre, like looking back? So I think one of the coolest things is, and we, we saw this from day one, is the involvement of women. So we cover science fiction as it comes out, all the magazines, all the books. We've got about 20 people all over the world covering everything we possibly can. And we also cover the space race as it happens. So right now the Gemini program just handed. And women have been a vital part of it. Not enough. Women write about 10% of what gets published at the time, but 25% of what worth, what's worth reading. So everyone remembers Ursula K. Le Guin and Anne McCaffrey and Octavia Butler and Joanna Russ, maybe Andre Norton. But do they remember Kit Reed or Roselle George Brown or C.L. Moore or Lee Brackett or Catherine McLean and, and onward and onward and onward? Is, yeah. There's there's at least 40 to 50 women writing science fiction in the 60s. And right around now is a really exciting time because partly because of Star Trek, partly because of second wave of feminism, we're going to get a, a huge explosion of women into the genre. And also in the space race. Um, yep. the, one of the very first biomedicine that launched rats into space. Uh, the three women in Hidden Figures, you probably saw that a few years ago. Um, just lots of important women getting into the space agency. The woman who uh, manages a Nimbus and Tyros. Um, so yeah, and by the way, I understand you're a little bit of a Philip K. Dick fan. A little bit. I mean, yeah. maybe a, a, you might call yourself a dickhead. Yeah, and you know, we had your dick expert on our show, we Jason like Sex. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, our, our listeners will remember Jason Sachs who covered uh, <laughs> con, uh, Confessions of a Crap Artist. He was, he was gifted to us by you. Um, so, yeah, of course. Um, you, you have important things coming up with PKD, like um, pretty soon you'll be doing Do Android Stream, right? Yes. That, that will be coming out. And, Did he um, tell you about uh, what PKD wrote in the latest Lighthouse? No, so, I don't know this. So tell, Lighthouse tell is us. a fanzine, but it's, but it's written with articles by pros. And PKD has this long acid trip. Literally, he must have just dropped acid before he wrote this thing. And he just has this stream of consciousness, 10 pages. Look out, look it up on fanac.org, F-A-N-A-C.org. Actually, I think this was in the literary selected writings of Philip K. Dick. So, yeah, I do think I have read that. You, you might have. Because that is the essay where he just randomly mentions A Last Thinking, which is one of the... It was his favorite short story when he was a kid. And we actually ended up doing an episode about that short story based on that essay. I think it's the essay. My favorite PKD quote in is, I've written 23 novels, one of them is good, and I don't know which one it is. <laughs> right. Yeah, I still don't think until the end he knew which one it was. Because, you know, uh, his opinions on his own work changed back and forth so many times. So, yeah. Well, and see, that's an interesting thing, because you get a curious look into the times because you're covering exact... You, you find lost things from 55 years ago that, that we wouldn't... Uh, like zines and, and magazines and all those things. And we things. republish them. That's how we found uh, Sybil Sue Blue by Roselle George Brown. That hasn't been published since 1966. And I Want the Stars by Tom Purdom, not since 1964. Uh, and our Rediscovery series. Uh, we're coming out with a new one next year that's going to cover 1953 to 57. Wow, that is, that's really cool. And I think that Rediscovery stuff that you're doing... It's such an important part, and as somebody who's a new age and golden, golden uh, era fan, I just I really appreciate that you you do that. Um, so, how can people find uh, Galactic Journey and follow what you're doing and uh, find your press, like, uh, and support your work? So, if you go to galacticjourney.org, all one word, that's how you get to the the time machine website, um, and there'll be 
there'll be in instructions there on how to watch Star Trek with us too, because anybody can join us, Pacific or East Coast. Um, and then our press is journeypress.com. We've got seven books out right now. We're, we're going to have 11 by the end of next year. So it's been a lot of fun. And, and we're really grateful to David here because he is the reason we are at the North Park Village Book Fair today. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, I wanted you guys here because I think the work that you do is important. So, um, yeah, and, and I'm I'm familiar with Gideon's work thanks to Lisa Yazik. So, yeah, uh, Lisa. Even though we are local to each other, Lisa was the one that was like, "Hey, you should know Gideon." And no, nobody's doing for the first time. Oh, you? Did? Oh, yeah, because you went out to Georgia. Tell us about that. Like, uh, that's cool. So I got invited out to Georgia Tech to do a talk called um, "Predict uh, What Science Fiction Got Wrong and Right and How You Make the Future." And it was basically all these doomsday predictions from the mid-20th century, none of which came true for the most part, and why and how we are the reason they didn't happen, um, and how we have agency to make the future a better place. Well, science fiction plays a role in them not happening because people talk Correct. about it. Right? Science fiction is both cautionary and aspirational, and if not for science fiction, people would have less an idea of what they want. Well, and one of my favorite science fiction novels of all time is, of course, Stand on Zanzibar, which I... It's not come out yet, so don't spoil it for me. Yes, I won't spoil it for you, but what, what frustrates me is when people say, like, well, it didn't exactly come true the way he said it would, and I was like, well, that's because he made it a warning, right. in part, you know? And and um, I think, especially with, pe- like with Asimov with Caves of Steel, which I know you have read, yes. probably, because it has come oh, out. Janice is a huge fan of Isaac Asimov's mysteries. Yeah, well, um, oh, she and I should talk, because uh, yeah, I love those take, books, take too. Take her after me. Yeah, um, yeah. Let's we'll do that. And then, uh, so one of the things about um, those books is that when people say like, "Well, the population didn't explode exactly like he said," I'm like, "No, but it has in different ways, <laughs> and it's not that far off." And since we're having a climate crisis, I don't think we can poo-poo uh, Asimov for saying that it might be a problem. Right. <laughs> but, in 1958. Yeah, I mean, and and I think we have to, you know, be really, you know look and see what these authors got right more than nitpicking what they got wrong. And it's also not your jo- the job of science fiction writers science to get everything fiction right. Job, science fiction writer's job is to write an interesting story that you like. Exactly. Everything else is secondary. All right, so well, we'll get Janice over here and get you back to selling books, but um, but at the same time, uh, uh, Gideon, I just uh, really appreciate the work that you do with Galactic Journey. I kind of pop in and out and read little things that you do I, I really have been enjoying your coverage of the space race lately um, because I'm a space nerd as well and uh, I had a situation the other day at work where we were at the Air and Space Museum where a co-worker won, won a bet because out of nowhere she was like hey David who are the Mercury astronauts and when I named them she won a she won a bet <laughs> and I was like so I, I enjoy your coverage of the space race, and I think it's great. And uh, some of your Star Trek stuff uh, has been really good, too. Um, and uh, I, I just really appreciate the work that you're doing. So, again, tell people where they can find you one more time. <laughs> Galacticjourney.org for the time machine and journeypress.com for our books. Every book you buy gives us a little more money. So, please, buy as many books as you can. And they're also really good. Yeah, uh, you you got some quality work over there. So thanks for joining us on Dickheads, and we'll get Janice over here next. Thank you for your patience. Alrighty, joining me on the podcast is another galactic person on the galactic journey. <laughs> um, 
Janice L. Newman is part of the, the same um, 55 year uh, time travel journey uh, with her husband Gideon and but you you are a writer and a creator yourself uh, tell the folks who you are and how you got into science fiction my name is Janice L. Newman and um, I think my gateway science fiction was iRobot I found uh, iRobot by Isaac Asimov in my middle school library when I was in about seventh grade um, and up to that point I'd read a lot of I've read a lot of sort of um, young fantasy stories, um, courtesy of my mom, uh, who gave me um, books like uh, the uh, Edgar Eager stories, um, Half Magic and things like that, Um, things by Elizabeth Enright about kids who had adventures, um, and mysteries. But I had never really gotten into my father's collection of science fiction, and I found this book in my library and I and I sat down and started reading it and I was just very impressed with it and it started a, a lifelong love of science fiction right and um, it's it's really cool too because as, as writers we, um, we can call upon these things that we read when we were really really young and we can pull like from these influences and it's really cool to always go back but what's really cool about the journey you guys are taking is that you're reliving these things that are even before our time right and getting to kind of experience the science fiction scene as it was 55 years ago which is really cool but specifically for you who are the probably the top authors that i mean obviously asimov you said asimov um uh who who are your go-to's when you when you read science fiction Oh man, that's a that's a tough question. There's there's just so many good ones. Um, uh, another one I, I like a lot is uh, uh, Anne McCaffrey. Um, I loved Dragon Song, Dragon Singer when I was growing up. Um, uh, let's see. Um, a lot of the ones we've republished in Rediscovery, I hadn't known about them before. Uh, but like Pauline Ashwell, I really, really enjoyed the novella that we included in Rediscovery so much, uh, unwillingly to school. Um, in fact, so much so that I was the one who wrote the introduction for it. And uh, and that was just a delight. Her, her work has been consistently excellent. Um, so Rediscovering her has been a real treat. Um, I've, I've read definitely a lot of the big names, um, but there's just there's just too many to even to even break down. There's so many good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, now Gideon said that you're a big fan of the of the Asimov robot mystery novels. Those are my favorite Asimov novels. Um, so they came up in conversation. But anyways. Uh, uh, those are the ones that I really wish that when I saw Foundation on TV, I know not everyone was happy with it. I didn't dislike it. I, I'm a defender of the show, but I really, really want a mer- uh, uh, the, those um, Elijah Bailey novels. I really want to see them realized as a full noir. What are your feelings on those books? Um, well, those were some of the early ones that I read as well because, as I said, I've been very into mystery novels, uh, particularly you know, uh, mid-century British cozies uh, uh, and, and earlier uh, Conan Doyle, Agatha Christie. Um, so when I found out that Asimov, who I had 
just for the first time encountered and, and really liked his short stories, also wrote science fiction mysteries, I was kind of hooked. And Caves of Steel, I've always thought, is a really great story. Um, his his uh, his androids are so interesting um, and actually influenced um, a little bit of one of my the, the lead story of, of, of my new collection. Um, oh, that's a great segue because that's where I was going <laughs> next. Uh, so yeah, I think it would be wonderful to have a, a good realization of the of the books. Um, I, I think it would be I think it would make a wonderful series. Uh, Caves of Steel in particular has all kinds of great imagery to draw on. I mean, Robots of Dawn certainly, you know. Well, and Naked Sun says so much about COVID and the social yeah. distancing. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll admit it's been years since I've read them, but but I still remember them and I remember them very fondly. I have recently reread Caves of Steel and Naked Sun, and I'm about to reread Robots of Dawn, so uh, hopefully next year. But um, I got uh, I got sideswiped on my attempt to, to read that trilogy by things. So, in, in any case, um, tell us about your collection. Um, it, it looks really cool, and um, it's, it's one... Um, that I'm very interested in. Uh, I admittedly have not read it yet, but um, it's on my list. So tell us, tell the folks about it. All right. Um, so there are three genre stories. It's relatively new, correct? That's correct. It yes. Came out November that's 30. in my defense. Like <laughs> I, I was familiar with it before today. But. Oh no! Don't don't worry. It's it's brand new. Uh, I would be very surprised if you even had the opportunity to read it yet. Um, it's called the. It's a collection of three novellas. Um, the entire collection is called At First Contact, uh, which I actually really like as a name, uh, both for the collection and for the first story, um, which is also called At First Contact. Uh, this story is. This, it was written before the pandemic, but reading it, you may find that hard to believe. I find it hard to believe, even even though I wrote it. Right. Um, it's a story about a, a germaphobe who is assigned to, uh, who applies to go for a job to go look, looking for, um, basically they, they are going to fly out in space and look at a potential colony. That, that's their job. And they want this position because their life on Earth is really hard because they, they're they made so uncomfortable by germs and by, by the idea of slimy things and, and by, you know, just breathing the same air as other people makes them uncomfortable. Um, and so before the pandemic, this was just kind of an abstract idea almost. I mean, I... I it certainly was taken, drawn a little bit from my own experience where, you know, everybody gets, I think, that discomfort when they have to go to the ATM and push the same buttons that somebody else has just pushed, or, you know, when you lean forward and, and somebody reads in your face, you know, these, these things these things make you uncomfortable, and I sort of took that and extrapolated it. Post-pandemic, oh my gosh, reading it is visceral. <laughs> but that's not really the focus of the story because the story begins with this person getting on the ship and going into space. And they have an android companion named Jay. And there are actually some some references to Asimov and references to other um, popular uh, popular science fiction culture um, properties that people will recognize, I think, um, as being... Uh, 
media from the past that has, that, that has influenced the characters. There are two other stories in the collection. Uh, one is a paranormal story called Ghosted, um, where a young man who knew a ghost in his grandmother's house, he comes back to her house after she's passed on, and the young ghost that he used to play with is gone. He has to try to figure out what happened to the ghost and try to reconnect with him. Um, and the other one is called A Touch of Magic. And it's about two teachers who live in a world where a person can affect their surroundings sometimes when they have a burst of strong emotion. So they can do what's called imbue something, uh, a piece of art or even a person. Uh, if they if they have a strong surge of emotion at the right time, but it's a rare thing, it doesn't happen very much. So it's mostly like our world and uh, how this slightly different world affects them and their relationship. Uh, all of the stories are more or less queer. Um, the uh, protagonist of the first one, their gender is not identified, and the other two are uh, male male romances. Got it. Now. Uh, this is a Philip K. Dick podcast, mm -hmm. and we are our dickheads. Are there any themes in your fiction that may be familiar to dickheads, or are you more uh, influenced by, uh, by by? It sounds like you've got you got a little bit more Golden Age influence than New Age. Well, I think it depends. Um, I'm more of a uh, I. I'm very interested in writing romance, but genre romance, because you see a lot of romance novels, but they're intended to be set in the real world, um, or, you know, our world, more or less. Um, and I like the idea of mixing romance with genre stories. Um, I've read, you know, romantic mysteries and other types, but um, I haven't seen as much um, genre romance. So I think the genre aspects of it are more, um, what, what, what adjective shall I use? <laughs> the, some of the genre aspects might be more familiar to dickheads. Um, well, I will give you this, too. The first story really sounds like it's got a great paranoid edge to it. <laughs> we love paranoia around the dickheads podcast. Well, so. certainly the, the main character has uh, has, has some, some issues that they are working through. Um, we don't know anything about that around here. Uh, all of the characters. Very sarcastic. All of the characters have um, most most of the characters in the stories. There's there's at least one character in every story who has. I don't want to call it a disability, but it's either it's some sort of mental or physical um, difficulty with the world. Mm. Um, it, so the, the main character in in uh, At First Contact is, is a germaphobe, but the android that they must work with also has a issue that is related to their cre their creation and what happens to them. Um, their uh, and and each story has has a character who has some kind of thing like that. Um, and most of those are one way or another drawn from my personal experience. Uh, I would say that these tend, be, partly because they are romance, and romance has an inherent expectation of a happily ever after ending, these are not dark, and they're not, um, I, I wouldn't say that they have the edge that a lot of Philip K. Dick stories have, um, so I, I wouldn't want to disappoint dickheads um, if they're going and <laughs> looking for that. But if they are looking for an interesting world, uh, I think they will find the, the worlds of, of that first contact interesting worlds. 
Absolutely. No, oh, no, it sounds really cool. All right, um, I really uh, appreciate your time. Uh, tell people how they can find your work online and find you online if they want to communicate with you about these ideas. Uh, you can find my books at journeypress.com. Journeypress.com. Uh, there you can find links to buy them on Amazon or from bookshop.org, which I strongly recommend um, to support your local bookstore. You can get digital versions. You can get uh, copyright-free digital versions there. So pretty much all the, all the bases should be covered. If you want to get a copy from us, you can. Um, you can also find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is um, pre-existed my writing career. It's K-Y-R-A-X-2. K-Y-R-A, the letter X, and then the number 2 um, is my Twitter handle. So you, if you, I don't post very often on there, but if you want to reach me or ask me a question on there, feel free to jump on Twitter and send me a, send me a tweet. Uh, well... Thank you, Janice, uh, uh, for joining us, and I love all the work you guys do at Journey Press, and uh, especially with the uh, Galactic Journey and the 55-year uh, uh, time travel mission. It's super rad, and um, I just uh, I, I love when people are, are so committed to doing something for science fiction, because uh, uh, I'm that kind of nerd. So I uh, appreciate your time, and I'll let you get back to selling books, but thank you for joining the Dickheads Podcast. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. This has been a pleasure, and I really uh, think you have a great podcast. Thank you. All right. Janice, you're off the hook. I'm going to sign off with a few words. Um, go back to selling books. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to talk a little bit uh, before I sign off about um, the North Park uh, Holiday Book Fair, which is where we're at. Um, this was organized by Verbatim Books. Verbatim Books is a uh, bookstore in North Park in San Diego. They have excellent um, collection of old school science fiction and, and it's just a great used bookstore. Uh, but they also have some rare PKD editions, so uh, look them up if you're out there and you, you're looking for stuff. I, I know they had a, a, a pretty banging early edition of um, Man in the High Castle at one point. They had a first edition paperback of Full My Tears. They had a Panther edition of Full My Tears for a while, so they have lots of Katie uh, books. So, and um, of course, I'm David Agrodoff. <clears throat> you can support me and my work. Uh, I've got a novel out there, uh, Goddamn Killing Machines, and my Splatterpunk Award uh, nominated book, Ring of Fire. Um, always could use the support with the books, too. So, as I'm here selling books today. Uh, it's a good reminder for me to put that out there. So thank you for joining Dickheads again, and uh, keep it paranoid. Stay paranoid. <laughs>